Cryptocurrencies went on a wild ride today. Bitcoin, the digital currency created a dozen years ago as an alternative to cash, is exploding in value. What is DeFi? Decentralized finance. Some well-known types of cryptocurrency you may have heard of are Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ethereum. NFTs. Why don't we all switch to Solana? Solana, 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 and Ethereum. It's everywhere. And right now, the whole DeFi space is exploding. <laughs> Welcome to the Jump Off Point, Crypto Edition, an original podcast by Jump Capital. By now, you've probably heard of FTX. The company and its U.S. entity, FTX U.S., are everywhere. From Lewis Hamilton's steering wheel to the Miami Heat Arena, and, true story, even recently showed up in a fortune cookie that I opened. Needless to say, they are doing everything they can to ensure a crypto future for all. So how did FTX US go from a crypto exchange to the pioneer in attaining retail adoption? We went straight to the source to find out. Today's host and crypto co-lead at Jump, Peter Johnson, is joined by Brett Harrison, president of FTX US. In this discussion, Brett and Peter go deep on everything FTX US, from trading tools and its recent Ledger X acquisition to its NFT platform launch and even Super Bowl ads. Additionally, for the first time, we looked to crypto Twitter for a few questions they wanted to ask Brett, who provides answers later in the show. Hey, everyone. This is Peter Johnson, and today we have a guest that I am incredibly excited about. And Brett Harrison, who is the president of FTX US, which has been on an absolute tear. So ton of things to talk about. And Brett is also the second person from the FTX family that has been on the podcast. We previously had on Sam Bankman-Fried, who was on with Dave Olson uh, from Jump. And that episode was actually, I believe, the first announcement of our work in the Pits Network, which we can talk some about. Uh, so really excited to have you on, Brett. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So I think everybody probably knows what FTX US is, but for anybody that's been living under a rock, what is FTX US and what's your relationship with FTX more broadly? So I, I'm sure people have heard of FTX at, at this point, one way or another, but FTX was started you know, two years ago or so as an answer to the existing derivatives exchanges in the world. Derivatives exchanges that were either going down all the time or liquidating customers left and right. Some of them are still doing that. Bleeding customer funds in various ways, getting hacked. And Sam, who was a trader on all these exchanges, you know, realized that there had to be some way of making something better. And so we started FTX and organically grew FTX into the second largest exchange in the world for crypto a lot of that trading through derivatives. However, that exchange is based offshore, based outside the United States and services non-US customers. And the reason being that in order to offer a bunch of the products that are on that exchange in the US, you need certain licenses that we don't, don't didn't yet have. But you know, being from the US, you know, Sam being from the US and knowing that also you know, the US holds some of the largest you know, capital markets in the world, really wanted to establish some kind of business, some kind of presence in the US. And so to start around a year ago, FTX US launched. It's a, it's a completely separate 
company, uh, separate business line, separate people, separate servers, everything. Although share some of the you know ultimate beneficial owners in, in common with FTX.com, but it runs in the U.S. and is primarily a spot cryptocurrency exchange. Or at least that's what it was founded as. You know, we have a handful of crypto pairs that you can trade on the exchange um, with a very similar interface to FTX.com. I would say around a year ago, we were doing something like a million dollars a day in spot volume. So, you know, pretty minuscule, you know, close to nothing. Now we're doing something like 400 million a day in spot volume. And so we're growing you know, exponentially. It's very exciting stuff. And of course, we have lots of other crazy ambitions, which I'm sure we'll, we'll cover. Absolutely. Yeah. So derivatives is a big one where I, I think we're going to get into that quite a bit. But before that, how about you? Just your, your background and, and how did you end up running FTX US? So I started in, at, at Jane Street Capital coming out of college, which is the same as Sam Bankman-Fried. And that's how we met, actually. So you know, I was a software engineer. I was an engineering manager at Jane Street. Sam was a trader on the international ETF desk. We had worked a bunch together. Even when he was 22, fresh out of college, he was already running a lot of the stuff going on on that desk probably not surprising to the audience here. And then we both left for, for separate paths. Sam went to start you know, his uh, crypto trading firm, Alameda. I had left to move to Chicago with, with my uh, wife to start a family. And so it took some other jobs. And near the end of my time uh, at Citadel Securities, where I was running semi-systematic trading technology, so encompassing ETFs, options, uh, OTC ADRs, I was, you know, planning on leaving. And at the time, Sam and I had been texting back and forth. And he was like, hey, you want to come join FTX? And I said, yes, let's do it. And I didn't know anything about crypto at the time. Uh, it was just sort of like, let's just dive in and do it. This is cool. Everything that's going on in this company looks incredible. And uh, I want to be a part of it. And, and you mentioned you're, you're in Chicago. I am also yes. in Chicago. Yep. Love to see you building FTX US in Chicago. Uh, Why did you say to, decide to stay in Chicago when, when you came over to, to FTX? Sure. Well, I mean, it was a combination of reasons, a part of which were, you know, selfish, which is I was here and it's fairly well established here as far as my personal situation goes. Um, but also because Chicago is a great place to bring together a number of different industries. So we, of course, have the traditional finance industry. We have a lot of the, the biggest trading firms and hedge funds in the world are here. Jump is here. But we also have futures exchanges here. I think about like the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, you know, SIBO. We have offices of different regulators are here. We have people from Solana who work here. Different Solana adjacent companies are also here as well. So it's a nice sort of little hub kind of in the middle of the country here where we have different areas of financial you know, innovation coming together in one place. A great, great trading background, trading challenge in Chicago. And as you mentioned, the, the Solana community in Chicago has been really, really impressive. I, I, I do want to ask you a fun question in that when, when I visited you in the Chicago office, I, I met one of your dogs and I have heard that you have a, a very large number of pets. That is uh, true. So how, how many pets do you have and what is the, the story behind the, the pets? Uh, yeah, so we have uh, 11, five dogs and, and six cats. I guess the story is, so my, my wife and I are very big you know, animal welfare, animal rights people, like vegan, the whole deal. I mean, she, she really got me into it. And so we just started adopting pets and just sort of never stopped. And that's sort of like one version of it. The other version is my wife, Hannah, has infinite size, zero bid out on every single adoption, you know, exchange in, in, in the greater Chicago area. And so you get an email like, oh, offer a dog with this issue that needs a home at, well, oh, take them. There you go. You're filled. So that, that's sort of the way that this thing could typically go down. And 
uh, we just keep on uh, keep on adopting. You're the you're the liquidity provider for pets in in Chicago. Yeah, we're the we're the lead market maker. Yeah, that's that's great. So one one of the big you know topics I wanted to dive into you with you is is derivatives, uh, since that is you know what where FTX started with. I think FTX might actually stand for uh, futures trading exchange. Um, something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, something like that. So so big history in in derivatives. FTX US, as you mentioned, just started with a spot exchange. What are the hurdles for offering derivatives and futures in the US? Absolutely. So in order to be able to be an exchange that offers derivatives products, you need a specific license from the CFTC called a Designated Contract Market License or DCM. And that is a pretty difficult license to obtain. If you apply for one from scratch, it can take anywhere from one to three years. That is only a part of the puzzle because even if you have the exchange license, you still need to find a place to clear those trades. And in order to clear derivatives trades, you have to clear them on something called a derivatives clearing organization or a DCO. And there are very few DCOs in the US. And that license can take up to you know, five years to obtain. So recently, FTX US completed the acquisition of a company called LedgerX, which we have since rebranded to FTX US Derivatives. And LedgerX has the DCM and the DCO. And so it gives us the ability through a, a number of you know, required approvals and conversations that we still have to have with the CFTC to be able to offer derivatives products in the US. And of course, we're, we're going to start with wanting to do crypto derivatives. So for example, Bitcoin, Ethereum, futures, and options. But LedgerX's licenses are very broad. They don't say, you know, crypto derivatives. They say, you know, derivatives. And that would, you know, potentially give us pretty broad, you know, mandate to be able to do other kinds of derivatives, not just for crypto. Yeah, but that, that actually relates to, we, we had a question come in on Twitter from the guys at CMS who asked if the, the licenses from LedgerX Will allow you? Will those allow you to self-certify futures? And if so, can you list things more than beyond BTC and ETH? And will that also include perps? Yes. So, first of all, the answer is yes. You can self-certify futures, but that doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. Like we can sort of self-certify an iPhone future, and then you know, two days later, the CFTC might be like, "What? What the hell is this? Take this down. Delist this now." And that's, that's not the position we want to be in. What we want to do is we want to discuss and, and preview and really go through a, a good certification process with the CFTC where there's an understanding of like, if we're releasing a new product, is it really the same thing as something that we already have with a slightly different underlying or a slightly different flavor? Or is this something entirely new? And we really need to dive in and understand like, is this actually a future? Is this a proper derivative that you know belongs on a DCM? What's the settlement process like? What's the index? Can it be manipulated? Yes or no. Let's make sure it can. What's going to be the surveillance around the product? So we can self-certify futures, but you know we we do need to do proper product filings and, and really understand uh, where the CFTC comes in on a lot of the products. And then you know, the the vision I know of a lot of spot crypto exchanges is uh, in the U.S. Is, is having having futures, having perpetuals, having that all-in-one screen, being able to, able to seamlessly trade various products with the ledger. Act, acquisition, how far away is that vision now for, for FTX US? Sure. So there's a lot of different steps to what we want to do. And so let, let, let's back up a second. So LedgerX right now has a live product. 
you can trade physically settled options and futures on LedgerX as a retail customer or institutional customer with no intermediaries. The problem right now is that the license requires that these products are fully collateralized. So it's you have to put up a Bitcoin to buy one fully collateralized Bitcoin future. It's like spending a Bitcoin to buy a Bitcoin. It's not the most popular product. So we have a couple of things that we need to do. One is we would like to you know, offer a more retail-friendly product, possibly, for example, a cash-settled future or cash-settled option. Uh, the second and the most important thing is being able to offer those on margin. And doing that requires a change to our license designation. And that is going to be a very methodical process by which we have to you know, talk about our, our margin model and our backstop liquidation funds and our risk systems in general, you know, with the CFTC and get go get really deep in the weeds and get this approved for what it is. And so that's that's the big mission right now for for us. And that could take three months. It could take eighteen months. I mean, it just it just there's there's a lot of of unknown unknowns that go into that process. Yeah, and then the the other kind of regulatory question I have is LedgerX. My understanding is that they have a DCM, which is the exchange. They have the DCO, which is clearing. They have the SEF, which is for for swaps. I, I don't believe they have an FCM, which is is typically the way that futures are offered to retail is is with an FCM license. Is that something that you need? Um, and that are will you work with existing FCMs, or how how will that part of it work? It's an excellent question. So right now. The DCO designation for ElectroX allows us to go direct to retail without intermediation. So right now, you, Peter Johnson, can register for ElectroX account and you can go and buy you know, a Ethereum call option without any intermediary going directly to ElectroX. And that model is also very much how all of the derivative exchanges exist outside the US. Like if you are a... I don't know, like Malaysian institution or something, and you're going to trade to you know, FTX.com, you don't have to go through an FCM or some sort of equivalent of an FCM. You just trade directly. And, and we think that that model has a lot of benefits in its simplicity and helps us really understand the risk that each of our customers are facing. So it's, you know, you have a buyer and a seller and the exchange and there's very little else. You're right, though, that, you know, on the CME, for example, you, you can't go direct to the CME as a retail customer. There's no CME app pull up on your phone and you know, buy one S&P 500 mini future. Um, you have to go through some sort of broker, an FCM, a futures commission merchant. And one thing that we're very much considering is how we can sort of disrupt that traditional model and be able to offer margin on futures and options to individual retail customers in the US without requiring some sort of intermediary. And I think this is the thing that will be probably something that's unprecedented in the US if we can pull it off. And that, that, that's uh, that's very interesting. And yeah, you also mentioned options. I'm curious your view: futures, options, kind of prioritization, importance of those two types of of products. Kind of where, where do you see the the opportunity? Sure. So the massive amount of uh, majority of the world's volume of crypto trades through futures, and options are, are, are sort of minuscule in, in comparison. And it's it's sort of puzzling because you would think that as a highly volatile product that people would just be more interested in actually trading vol outright. And you know, I've heard a bunch of different theories on this, part of which is that you know, there isn't really a good platform in the US right now for trading crypto options. Again, you know, LedgerX has it, but it's not exactly the right product yet. And you, know, you have to do fully collateralize it. There are some European alternatives. They don't trade that much. The spreads are pretty wide. 
some people that say that because of the high implied vol of cryptocurrencies, especially for things like Bitcoin, these options really don't move much with the underlying. And so when people want to get more traditional type of vol exposure with some delta that, you know, if Bitcoin moves and their option price doesn't move at all because implied vol is so high, it's not super exciting as a product for someone to use as a speculative instrument, let's say. But that we, we really don't know. I think there just hasn't been enough data. There hasn't been enough exciting marketplaces for people to trade these things to really get a sense of whether this could take off. I mean, it's possible that options could be much more widely traded in, in the US if we you know, produce a good product for it. And moving from you know, futures and options to a little less technical products that you, that you guys also recently launched uh, is the NFT platform. We'd love to hear like why you decided to launch the platform and what, what's your vision for that? Yes, yeah, it's good. It is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> so yeah, we 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 launched a, an NFT platform. At first, we, it was something where you could you know mint your own NFTs. Now it is one that you can also deposit and withdraw Solana based NFTs. You know, so things that have been minted outside of FTX, but you can bring them into FTX and relist for a secondary sale. And you know, there was a lot of thought into you know why we wanted to build this platform one of which was simply we just saw the enormous amount of secondary volume going up in you know these nfts and thought we could certainly do you know at least a good a good a job as the other marketplaces in doing this the second is that all of these existing marketplaces for nfts are decentralized and there's a lot of benefits to having a centralized marketplace for nfts one being that just from a legal perspective it's important that we actually provide a marketplace where there's KYC rules, where there's anti-money laundering rules, where you can prevent wash trading, where you can help people keep track of their transactions for tax reporting. And I think this is something that people haven't really thought enough ahead about, the fact that it's not sustainable in the current world where you know everything is like a peer-to-peer -peer DeFi transaction for NFTs, because you know at some point this will sort of catch up to, to regulators. And it's important that we provide a good place for people to do that trading. The second is that a lot of our, our branding partners and sponsorship partners are super excited about NFTs, you know, whether that be in sports or other kinds of areas of entertainment. And a big part of our, our deals with them involve some you know, intellectual property in some way that could involve NFTs. And it's important for us to have a really good platform so we can take advantage of that and provide an exclusive marketplace for some of these items. And, th and the last is that NFT is a technology, something that we don't really know exactly where it's heading. Um, and it could be something huge or, you know, I guess it could fizzle out, but I don't think it will. And one example is in, in the gaming space. I think there's an enormous amount of investment into blockchain-based gaming. And what a lot of game studios are looking for are crypto partners that can help them with most of the, the vertically integrated services, whether that be fiat on-ramps, KYC AML, user signups, transaction reporting, taxes, so I think if we can be the white label partner to many of these you know, games and gaming studios, I think that could also be an enormous opportunity for us. And on the you know, regulatory front related to NFTs, one, one of the things that you recently did was it was uh, announced that you're removing the ability to earn royalties uh, on NFTs on the platform, which I assume was based on regulatory concerns there. Can you talk a little a little bit about that decision and if there's been any reaction from the creator sure. community on that? Just to clarify, so we allow the artists, the creators, to receive royalties from the secondary sales. What we don't allow is for projects that say that if you're a holder of the NFT, 
you get to get some cut of all the royalties. So the way I like to think of this as, imagine you go on iTunes and you buy a song from Taylor Swift and you, you, know, you, buy, you buy the song. Well, some, some amount of the proceeds from that purchase are going to go to, to the Swifts. Part of it's going to go to Apple and part of it you know, might go to you know, Universal or whoever the record label is. And that's sort of normal and expected. And that's like a, something that everyone understands very well. Now imagine that if you buy the song, you are now entitled to you know, a cut of all of Taylor Swift's tour revenue for the next year. Well, that starts to look like an investment contract. You know, you're, you're buying something which is sort of entitling you to some revenue stream of another company. And if that's an investment contract, if that's anything like a security, well, if it's unregistered, you need to be an un- accredited investor in order to be able to take part in something like that or it needs to be a registered security. So what we want to make sure is that NFTs, which are at the end of the day, just arbitrary tokens, and therefore you can build arbitrary uh, complexity contracts on top of them. We, we really want to make sure that these things are collectibles, they're art, but they're not securities in disguise. And so that's sort of a big you know, consideration for us is that again, we, we want to be the legitimate marketplace for these kinds of, of products. And we want to make sure that they're not something that we are not allowed to support and that you, that you are not allowed to support, you know, in this country, at least. On the question of what is a security, that that's something that's a, a big question in the industry right now. I think that Gary Gensler has made it pretty clear that he thinks that a good number of, of tokens that trade on exchanges, uh, in his view, are, are securities. So at FTX, you guys, how do you think about evaluating what might be a security and also thinking about the potential risk that the SEC one day says that a large number of tokens out there are, are securities. Yeah. So FTX US in particular has taken a very conservative view about token listings. And it, there's, as you have described, there's precisely this regulatory uncertainty about which tokens are securities or something like securities, what are more like commodities, what are like not like none of the above. And therefore, if we're on a securities exchange, you know, what does it mean in terms of what we can list and what we can't list? And as also people might know, there are these tests, there are guidelines for trying to determine what a security is, but they're highly fact-specific, they're highly complex. And it's not like just because you've done some research and you get one legal opinion that says this thing's not a security that you're suddenly safe. And, you know, what, what do you need to be safe from? You need to be safe from, you know, enforcement action, let's say, by the SEC. And you need to be safe from a class action lawsuit from your customers who, you know, if you find out that they, you know, were buying an unregistered security and they lost money from it, you know, maybe they can sue you for the losses. So I'll, I will say like one of the, the most popular things that people tweet at me on, on Twitter is why not list this coin, uh, you know, or why does, you know, Coinbase have more coins than you have? And I think the answer is, well, because we're taking the long view that yes, there's like a long tail of tokens out there that people might be interested in trading. But if we're going to support a marketplace that's going to mature in this industry in a way that works well with where the regulatory landscape is shaping, we, we need to just take a longer view about what we're going to list and, and be really deliberate and thoughtful about it and think more about our derivatives aspirations, about NFTs, about other kinds of growth in our spot marketplace um, that don't just rely on listing tokens that are in this regulatory gray zone. Everybody wants more tokens. I feel like yeah. that's, a, that's a consistent theme. 
one way that that you know more tokens you know can be offered or at least people access a longer tail of tokens is, is decentralized exchanges. Uh, you know, FTX very close partner with Serum. Jump also is a close partner with Serum, uh, which is one decentralized exchange. How do you think about offering FTX US customers access to more things within DeFi? Sure. Yeah, I I definitely think that as DeFi grows and starts to reach into the the sites of, of regulators, there's going to need to be some answer that's not just either shut the whole thing down somehow. I really don't know actually how you do that, but shut the thing down somehow or let the whole thing run without you know interruption. I think there's probably going to be some middle ground, like permissioned DeFi, where in order for people to be able to access these services, they need to go through some permissioned gateway where we can make sure they're not part of some OFAC sanctioned nation or they're not some like known criminal or hacker or something. And also that we actually know what, values of, of assets are being traded through the system so we can actually guard against systemic financial risk. You know, this is, of course, going to be uh, top of mind for regulatory agencies and different bodies of government as they think about as more and more money pours into DeFi, you know, are we ending up with some sort of systemic risks to the financial system as a result? It's very important for us to think about. I think, you know, we, that can't be understated. So I, I, I see a vision in which DeFi and CeFi kind of grow together where you know exchange like FTX US you know maybe provide some sort of permission gateway to these services. And we've had a number of, of conversations with you know the CFTC with regard to derivatives, where there's a possibility that uh, our licensed venues could end up as you know either trade printing facilities or clearinghouses for derivatives contracts that might you know trade over DeFi as well. So I think there's a there's a bunch of options there that that could result in a in a nice marriage between you know, a CFI exchange like ourselves and and DeFi like Serum. And as you you know are looking at things within DeFi, uh, no FTX broadly has been partner with with Solana. Uh, you know, starting with the NFTs on on Solana. How do you think about where to build or where to partner uh, within DeFi? Is that Solana centric? How, how do you think about the different chains and ecosystems? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, we, we FTX formed this strategic partnership with with Solana in terms of what we support and what we want, want to encourage people to use, based on the knowledge that we all want the crypto ecosystem to evolve and grow and mature and innovate. And in order for that to happen, there needs to be blockchains that support some large number of transactions per second at low cost. This is just sort of a, just absolute necessity. If we are going to want to have gaming transactions happen entirely on a blockchain, if we're going to want social media to happen entirely on a blockchain or a, a financial market, an order book, or like PIF, you know, an actual you know, full market data stream to happen on a layer one blockchain, it can't be something with 10 transactions per second that costs you $100 per transaction. It's just not going to happen. That's not to say that we are opposed to working with other blockchains or even some of the existing sort of slower layer ones. For example, in the NFT space, it's still the case that the majority of NFT volume happens on Ethereum. And one thing that we're working on is being able to support Ethereum-based NFTs on FTX NFTs as well, and letting people you know, do cross-chain transactions between you know, Ethereum and Solana. Who knows what's next in terms of other blockchains that might support NFTs? So our goal is to sort of support as, as large a swath of the ecosystem as possible, but really making strategic investment into the places that we think have the best chance to help grow the ecosystem. 
And at, at Jump, we also, we firmly believe in a multi-chain e- ecosystem. We're very excited about Solana. We're also excited about cross-chain bridges like Wormhole, which I think, which are kind of helping uh, enable that, that interoperability. Uh, you did mention Pith there, which uh, is something we're also very excited about. We were partners with Pith. FTX is big partners with Pith. What, what is Pith and, and why are you guys excited about it? You can tell everyone better than I can, but one thing I'm excited about in general, in, in the crypto world in general, having come from traditional finance, is accessibility and openness of data and in general, transparency of data. So not many people in the crypto world might know this, but in traditional finance, market data is ludicrously expensive. Just to get you know, a single equities exchange full order book might cost you twenty to $50,000 a month for you know, one feed, one connection. And in, on top of that, you're paying per user, per machine that uses the data, per different data center that you distribute the data to, how often are you displaying it, what form, and it's just very complicated. And it's a huge barrier to entry to getting into this, to trading space at all. You know, if you want to have a full broker dealer running where you have connections to every exchange with all the best order book feeds from every single one of the, you know, 13, 14 US equity exchanges, you're looking at tens of millions of dollars a year in market data bills. If you compare that to the crypto exchanges, you can open up your you know, Chrome and open up your developer console and connect the WebSocket to FTX US's order book and start receiving the data for free, the full order book. And also no one has special access. You know, so all our exchange runs in the, you know, one of the Amazon clouds, you know, EC2, sorry, AWS. And if you want to access that as a person in your garage, or if you want to access that as jump trading, it's the same. And so I'm a big believer in this idea of sort of changing the financial incentives for companies by make by forcing people to provide data for free that's open. And I think that Pith is an important part of that. So Pith is an oracle that's supposed to be able to take market data and provide some good estimates of, let's say, fair values for all sorts of financial instruments on the Solana blockchain. And those that data can be used for user interfaces. It can be used for trading. It can be used for smart contracts, which might need good Oracle prices in order to be able to settle the conditions of the smart contract. And it's really awesome to see all of these different traditional exchanges like, like Jump, like you know, my old place, Jane Street, these different companies that are saying, we want to contribute to this platform. We want to be able to provide pricing into it and, and take a part in this sort of new paradigm of trying to allow people to access this data in a free and open way. So yeah, it's all pretty exciting. Yeah, and it's something that is, I would say, fairly new. If you look at traditionally how these large firms operate, there's not a ton of things that they collaborate closely on. And uh, with Pith, there's, I believe, 40 of the top trading firms, exchanges in the world collaborating on this you know, Oracle data project to build high quality, put high quality data into, into smart contracts on Solana so you can build these new products. It's really a different mindset, I think, in crypto that it's not a it's not a zero-sum world. We can collaborate. We can build things together. It's composable. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's really exciting. Uh, I also wanted to talk about just the, the marketing, you know, kind of sponsorships, everything that FTX US is doing. It's been, uh, it seems like you guys are playing a different game than everybody else. The, the, the size of the deals that you're doing, the speed that you're doing them. How, how did this come about? How, how did you guys end up, you know, being everywhere over the last few months? Sure. Yeah, so I, some of this predates my my joining FTX. You know, I only joined in, in May of this year, 
the story goes is Sam really wanted to establish this presence in the U.S. especially. And it's very difficult having an exchange at that time that was, you know, four or five months old up against 10-year incumbents like Coinbase or Kraken. And how do you get users to trust some new exchange that they've never heard of when a lot of exchanges are getting kind of a bad rap? There's like a lot of noise in this industry. And Sam thought, well, look, we could do something that's fairly diffuse and conventional, like start going out and doing traditional ad spend, you know, going out and buying Google ads or Facebook ads and trying to get people to switch that way. Although I don't know about you, I don't think I've ever Googled something and then there's an ad that comes up for JP Morgan and suddenly I'm going to switch all my my bank account from Citi to JP Morgan because I saw an ad. Like it doesn't really happen that much. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. It's never happened. I don't don't think so. But Sam, so what's the biggest thing we can do? Everyone, I want everyone to just sort of think about this for a bit. Everyone go out and aim as high as possible. And, and someone came back and said, like, what do you think about, you know, naming a stadium? And Sam was like, yeah, that, that's, that's basically in line with what, what I'm trying to say. Let's, let's do something huge like that. And, and then it, it came together. There was, you know, American Airlines is ending their, their long-term contract with the Miami Heat Stadium. And they were looking for a new partner. Or they were looking for a very forward-looking, innovative partner. They were looking for someone who would work directly with the county on various initiatives like anti-violence initiatives. And it just worked out. It was the right place at the right time. And we named the Miami Heat Arena, the FTX Arena. And all of a sudden, FTX was you know, on the map. All of a sudden, there were 10, 50, 100 million people who have got had some impression of FTX now. And that value can't be you know, understated. And I think what, maybe what other companies might get tripped up on is if you can't directly and obviously measure return on investment, then spending that much money on, on a property like that feels like way too big a risk. But I think the founders of this company, you know, understand some amount of like risk taking and expected value computations based on, you know, previous experiences at other companies. And then at some point you just have to sort of jump in and take some risks and think like, no, like there's very little else that we could do that could have as large an impact as something like this, as something like being behind home plate on the umpire's chests on, on their badges behind every single play that gets highlighted every single game. You know, these are the kinds of things where it's difficult to measure exactly what the return is in that investment, but we know it's probably huge given just the, the sheer size of the audience that gets to see and think about FTX all the time. And it lends, it lends a lot of credibility to us because, you know, you have to take an old institution like Major League Baseball. Like, what do you think it took them to partner to do their first ever, you know, crypto partnership? An enormous amount of time and due diligence and discussion to get comfortable with us as a company, to get comfortable with our people, with our product, with our safety and security, with our compliance. And, and that also is a way of sending a strong signal to people who are looking for alternatives to existing players and thinking, well, what, what works? Well, how about this one that this trusted institution has already worked with? And so it's been really, really cool for us to, to get to do a lot of these giant partnerships. So are, are we going to see a Super Bowl commercial this year? Uh, I think that is public that you will likely see a Super Bowl commercial, but that is all that is all I will say about it. Oh, big news. This, this is very exciting. I am, I am looking forward to the, the potential Super Bowl commercial this year. Well, we, we talked a lot about different initiatives that you're working on, a lot of big initiatives. What is the big thing that's that's next for you? Yeah, so look, we're, we're firing on a bunch of different different fronts here. Derivatives and FTX US derivatives is going to be a very large focus for us over the next you know 
year or so. And that is because we think that the derivatives landscape in the US is not super competitive. You know, there's really the CME and ICE and SIBO and you know, a few others who are really competing in this space. And we think we have a real opportunity to break that up and shake it up and provide you know, a better marketplace for, for derivatives in general. And it, with equities, as well as with crypto, more volume trades through derivatives than they do through the underlying spot or cash product. So there's a lot that we're going to be focusing on there. We're going to continue to build out our NFT platform, think about other sort of more traditional investing kinds of products that we might be able to offer through our app. We would like to build a fairly generic payments and trading services app where anything that you might want to do with your dollar, whether it's buy a share of Apple or buy a Bitcoin or buy an NFT or just you know put it somewhere where it can be stored and be safe, that can all happen in one place. And that's our vision for where this is heading. And so we're going to be doing what we can to get there. And as you build that out, are there other acquisitions that you might be potentially looking at or ty- types of acquisitions? Yeah, so we're, we're definitely always getting looks on the potential for new acquisitions. I I would say the things that we're looking at probably split into two main camps. One are cases where a company might have large user bases that if we can acquire and convert those into FTX US users, our FTX users, well, that could be very valuable to us. You know, our entire product comes from from our user base. And so any kind of shortcut on user acquisition could be good. I mean, the acquisition of Blockfolio and turning that into our retail FTX app, that was you know, very much in the spirit of, of what we're talking about here. Two would be that the company itself has some sort of, whether it be technology or license, that will be a shortcut for us to acquire rather than to try to build out ourselves. When you think about things in the gaming space, for example, with, with our very small, like small double digit number of software developers, um, which probably surprises most people compared to other companies, we're not going to go out and build like the next Axie ourselves. You know, that, that is like an enormous project that requires like huge numbers of software developers and, and game designers and, and, and asset designers and just a huge staff that it's just not going to be our comparative advantage. But maybe there's companies out there that are building the next one. They're looking for a blockchain partner of some kind or a crypto partner of some kind. And we could work with them as in a partnership sense, or we might be able to acquire them or, or think about Ledger X. When Ledger X had you know, this great team with this great technology and these the licenses that would allow us to achieve a major goal of ours, that's another example of sort of an acquisition target that we're generally looking at. And la- last question I like to ask, there is so many resources and so many smart people in crypto. What are the, the people or the resources that have been most influential in how you think about crypto? I'll, I'll give two, two answers to this personally. So one is obviously it's helpful to be inside of FTX, which is so close to the pulse of what's going on in crypto. But being in Chicago and being around you know, the Solana team, for example, and, and seeing what they're experiencing and just being able to walk over and have coffee with guys like Bartosh and Jordan and, and just you know chat about what's going on in, in the Solana ecosystem has been enormously valuable, especially for someone like me who who you know didn't know like what a blockchain was you know eight months ago. So I think that that's one thing. Another thing that I did not have prior to joining FTX was was a Twitter account. <laughs> Working inside of you know super secretive trading firms doesn't afford you much opportunity to talk on on social media. But just 
being a part of crypto Twitter and, and you know, there's, there's a lot of noise there, but like just starting to be able to see who are people really looking to for, for guidance here? What are people saying about the product? What are people saying about different cryptos? What are people saying about the markets? That's also been good for me just to sort of experience through, you know, through their eyes and what they're writing about what's, what's important and what's happening. So I'd say that's been kind of my, my mix of, of getting into this space from a resource perspective has been, you know, like the Solana team nearby here in Chicago and, uh, and to some extent, to social media and Twitter. Well, well, Brett, this has been a really enjoyable, a really informative conversation. Thank, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening to this month's episode of The Jump Off Point, an original podcast by Jump Capital. If you have an idea for the show or know of someone who would make a great guest, please contact podcast at jumpcap.com.